have a very special couple. Um, Owen and, and Mary Adams are uh, going to be uh, sharing the word with us today. Amen. How many of you appreciate the Adamses? Uh, I'm not going, you've heard enough of me today. I'm not going to tell you their story. They can tell it better than anyone. Um, all I will say is that the time that I've gotten to know them, you know, they have such a genuine love for the Lord and they have such a passion for advancing the kingdom of God. And they are true missionaries, whether abroad or domestic. And, and they have been a, uh, an inspiration to me. They are full of the word, full of the love of God. And I can't wait to hear what God has on their hearts for them to share. And I'm just going to invite you guys to come up and share what God has on your heart and get us up to date on what God is doing in your life. Am I on? No. Hello. <laughs> I think I'm not. Am I on? Yeah. Okay. We're going to pray before we begin. Cornell, could I have a music stand? I think I'm too short to see. <laughs> to read my Bible from that. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I, try, I try to show her stuff, and I hold it like here, and she says, will you bring that down a little bit, please? I'm short. <laughs> All right, you want to pray? Yeah. Right. Father, we thank you for this morning. <clears throat> we worship you, Lord, and we're just so happy to be here to be able to share your story with people. I thank you for your love for everybody in this place and for everybody on this planet. I thank you that you will not quit loving us no matter what. Father, please help Mary and I share today what you want people to hear. And I pray that everyone in this place will receive something from you today. Pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We love this place. Man, I praise God when we come here. <clears throat> we were in the prayer meeting this morning, and I just got filled with the Holy Spirit, you know. Sometimes you just feel that more than other times, and then we come in and worship God, and it's like, man, I could do that for hours and hours and hours. I love to worship God. And it's a wonderful thing. Uh, <laughs> I can't carry a tune at all, and you're probably happy that you can't hear me sing. So I like this. The music was loud enough that I could sing out loud, <clears throat> and you couldn't hear me, but I could sing out loud. I had a pastor one time, and... and in Colorado before I came here, and he was the one who got me filled with the Holy Spirit and so forth. And we had a prayer meeting every Monday night, and we got to where we would sing in the Spirit a lot, you know, and one night kind of at the end of the prayer meeting, he, he looks at me, he just kind of walked up and he says, Owen, you think you'll ever get that singing down? I said, I don't think so. <laughs> he said, okay. <laughs> anyway, that's not what we're here about this morning. I just wanted to share that. Praise God. Uh. So, let's see, some of you guys know us from when we were missionaries. It's really funny, I was thinking about this morning, in one month, we will be married 10 years. <laughs> and it, it went about like that fast, and then in September, we will have been in full-time ministry for 10 years. <laughs> So the weird part about that, of course, is the math. You know what I mean? We got married in June. <laughs> and then, let's see, July, August, he quit his job. And September, we went to India, you know. I still remember my mom's reaction to some of that stuff. Like, <gasps> I, I think she thought, who did you marry? <laughs> 
And then I quit my job and then we moved to India, you know, <laughs> which was harder on our families than we understood. But anyway, we served God in India basically for the better part of eight years. And then, as many of you know, that ministry ended and God brought us back to America and we felt that we were going to go be missionaries to Thailand, but God had a different plan. And we, we called Pastor CJ to talk to him about what would you like us to share with the church? And he said, we said, do you want us to preach or do you want us to share about our new ministry or what God's doing through the ministry? And he said he wanted us to share the ministry, the new ministry the Lord has given us and what the Lord is doing through that. And um, so we're praying that through that, God will give you something for your life, Um, your life with the Lord, your life right here in America, reaching people where you live, in your community, in your family, um, and your walk with God. So uh, when we when we found out we weren't going, well, actually, we came back from India and we were trying to go move to Thailand. Pastor Dale even bought a flag of Thailand. <laughs> we thought we were going to Thailand. And I think that was October of 2013. So Owen and I tried and tried and tried to make it happen for about two and a half months. And absolutely nothing would come together. Nothing. I mean, we couldn't even get figured out how to get the visas, which is crazy because our whole married life, what have we done? We've lived overseas. And um, in in late December of 2013, we received an email. Wow, I've never seen a countdown clock before. Okay, I'm going to talk really fast now so I can get it all in. That is scary. They do not have that in a foreign get, country. Get the CD and pl- play it on slow. <laughs> anyway, so in late December of 2013, we received an email from somebody that we won't tell you who it is because of anonymity. And the person knew we had been, you know, living overseas, serving the Lord overseas, and that we might go be missionaries again. And at that exact moment, the person emailed us and said... I need help, and I think you guys are the only people on the earth that I personally know who I think can help me. Can I come to you, and you guys will help me? What are we going to say? No, we can't. (laughs) We're going overseas. We said, sure, come on. When can you come? And we had an idea that this person was in trouble, but we didn't know for sure what the trouble was. So he set a date to come and see us, and... Four days after the date that he said, he showed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we were sort of waiting and waiting and waiting and emailing or texting back and forth. And we began to wonder, is he ever going to come? And finally, he said, yes, I'll be there at such and such a time. It was actually the, the Sunday right after Christmas in 2013. And about 7.30 at night, we were sitting in our apartment <clears throat> near the front door. And we heard this. If we had not been listening, we wouldn't have heard that knock. Mm-hmm. And we knew, you know, who it was, so we went to the door and opened it. <clears throat> and our hearts just fell. We knew something was drastically wrong, but we didn't know what. But it was something, man, you could see it. So we said, come on in, gave him a hug, sat down at our kitchen table and talked and talked and talked. And after a little while, he said, I'm a meth addict. 
and I would like you guys to help me get into treatment. Will you do that? Okay, so sometimes we have to rely on the Lord and just the fact that we mostly don't know what we're doing, and we just go ahead and do it anyway. We spent a lot of time in India not knowing what to do, and we just went ahead and got it done. And, and we said, sure, we'll help you. We actually truly did not know what to do. Mm-hmm. But he went to bed that night, had him stay with us, went to bed. And the funny part was we were sitting across the table from each other. The person was there, and he said, "We guys help? And we didn't even have a moment to discuss it. We just both said later that we thought we're missionaries. We've always done stuff we don't know how to do. Sure. So we just acted like it was normal. Sure, yeah, we'll help you. <laughs> but we didn't, we didn't know a thing about what to do. So he slept through the night, and in the morning someone, a friend of ours in Tulsa who had known that he was coming, called us up, and she said, you know, I wanted to call you guys last night, but God would not let me do that. And she said, did he come? And we said, yes. And we said, and, and here's the deal. <clears throat> and we explained what had happened. And, she, and we said, we don't really know what to do. And she said, is he a vet? Is he a veteran? We said, yes. She said, okay, here's what you do. Call VA, Veterans Administration, and call NA, Narcotics Anonymous. So we called VA in Muskogee. Yeah, I I went out to, we just had a little one-bedroom, two-story apartment, and he was sleeping in our our bedroom, which was upstairs. And I went out to the car and called the VA in Muskogee, and I'm crying. And it was totally God, because a woman who never answers the phone, it's not her job, she answers the phone, I'm crying, and she's like, don't worry, honey, bring him on up here, we got a great treatment program for him, he's a veteran, and everything's going to be all right. So I said, oh, thank God. Well, actually, they don't have a treatment program. (laughs) But it was God. What what they do have is a psych ward. But it was a God answer because it got us started on the pathway. So we went upstairs to our bedroom and woke this person up. And we said, uh, let's go save your life. Because meth plans to kill you. So let's go save your life. And he's like, you found something already? I mean, he came at 7 o'clock on a... What night was it? Sunday? Sunday On a Sunday night. We're waking him up Monday morning. We've got an answer. And I think he's a little scared. And then I I said, listen, you know, it's hard to explain when you've been gone from your own country for a long time and you have no idea about anything. But we had been gone for the better part of eight years. We only came back to do stuff in America that needed to be done. We lived overseas. We didn't understand America. So I said, I don't know a thing about meth. I mean, all I knew is they regulated Sudafed. That was all I knew, right? So I said, <laughs> I said, I don't know a thing about meth, but I know this. If you're going to beat it, you need Jesus. And then I witnessed to the person, and, um, you know, it was that moment. I said, so you want to do that? You want to receive Jesus? And he said, not yet. And I thought, ah. Oh. I hate that answer. (laughs) So he's like, let me get a shower. And we're like, okay, then we're taking you to Muskogee. (laughs) So he gets showered, and we're driving to Muskogee, and the peace of God was in that car the whole way. We didn't know why. And so we get him down there, and they admit him and ask him a bunch of questions and everything that's going on in his life. And, And this is interesting to me because the lady who did the intake She just talked to him like he was a normal human being who has a problem. 
which is correct, by the way. Right. But she said things like, <clears throat> so, what's your drug of choice? How long have you been doing that? Are you homicidal? Are you suicidal? And just a whole range of questions that, you know, we didn't know to ask and probably didn't have the nerve to do it anyway. Right in front of us, she calmly says, is there anyone you would like to kill and are planning to kill? <laughs> <clears throat> I thought, okay. <laughs> we were really happy that the answer was no. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so then they checked him into what turned out to be a psych ward. And we didn't know it. We thought we had gotten him in treatment. So, you know, we, we went to an all-night restaurant and ate and went back to Tulsa. And we're like, okay, great. And the next morning, we get a phone call. He calls us and he says, this place is not for me. We're like, and I thought, we have done everything we know to do, and we only knew that starting yesterday. I don't know what we're going to do now. And then he said, but there's a place in Tulsa that will take me. It's a, re it's a, re a rehab center. They will take me uh, starting on Friday. And this was Tuesday when we were talking to him. So, so he said, can I stay with you until then, and then you can take me there, and I'll go into treatment. So we said, yes, we'll do that. And in the meantime, we had learned that when a meth addict... You know, it's coming down. You got about two or three days, and if he's a real, really addicted, he's going to need to use again, and to use, he's going to steal, and and it could be dangerous to have them in your house. And we're like, okay, well, missionary. I plead missionary. I mean, what are we going to do? Say no? You came all the way to the people of God, and so okay, come on back. So he came on back, and on New Year's Eve, we said he stayed with us a few more days, and on New Year's Eve, we said. How come you were so calm when we were taking you to Muskogee? And he said, I actually wasn't sure I was going to go with you guys. I thought I might just bail, you know, take a shower and get my stuff and leave. But he said, I was standing in the shower and all of a sudden, did he say the Spirit of God came? No, he said he said to God. He said to God, God, I'm sorry for everything I ever did wrong. Please take it all from me. And he got born again. And it... <laughs> yeah, right, Scott. Well, it was just before midnight on New Year's Eve, you know, as he was telling us that story. And I'm watching the clock, and the clock was behind him. And it gets to be just about midnight, and he says, am I saved? Did Jesus receive me? And we're like, yeah, Jesus received you. You're saved. He's like, really, I'm saved? And so we reassured him, yes, you're saved. And he said, could you guys... Pray with me again so I'll know I'll have the exact date and I'll know for sure exactly when and what time this happened. And the clock is behind him and it gets to be just after midnight. And it's, you know, January 1 now of 2014 when, when, he, when he's asking, will you pray again and I'll call that my date that I got born again. And so we felt that was important. You know, even though he was already saved, he wanted that. So we prayed with him again. And sure enough, it was January 1, 2014. And then after that, we took him off to treatment, and we thought, well, probably our job is done from God, you know, right? Because, you know, God, we were seeking God for his plan. We're moving to Thailand. We just helped this one right here in America a little bit. And we walk in the treatment center to take him to treatment, and there's people sitting on a chair under a blanket shivering because they're coming down off stuff. Some of them just used five minutes before, you know, in the parking lot before they go in treatment. There's people crying. There's all this stuff. Just, I mean, and it's like th this close, man. There's somebody shivering and shaking and crying and, you know, and over there and right here and right next to us. And so Owen turned to me because, you know, I had some, 
some problems with post-traumatic stress from the violence of India. So there we are with all this stuff going on, you know. And Owen turned to me and he said. I said, are you okay, babe? (laughs) Uh, You know, sometimes the Lord just shows up, right? And I said, me? I'm fine. These are my people. Brokenhearted people have always been my people. I'm fine here. And I thought, oh, no. (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) What does that mean, God? So I just got real quiet. (laughs) She she was kind of hoping I hadn't heard that, actually. Because... (laughs) We're going to Thailand. (laughs) What it meant was we actually have not gotten the go-ahead from God to go to Thailand to be missionaries there. And we're still praying about what to do. And now he just dropped somebody right in our lap, basically, literally. And now other people are there as well. What do we do? So we began to pray. Okay, Lord, we don't know what to do once again. And we're just going to pray it out and see what you tell us. So we spent about three weeks, I guess, which is exactly what we did before we went to India. We prayed for about three weeks. Once we thought God's going to have us move to India, we didn't tell anybody what we're doing. We didn't, we didn't talk to anybody. We went to church and, you know, did social stuff, but we didn't tell anybody because we wanted to hear from God. Okay, same thing. We're just praying this out. Oh, God, I hope you don't want us to do this, but I think you might. And that's literally what I prayed. I thought, oh, my goodness. One day, one day we're praying, and Mary says, she said, God, I didn't think you could find a ministry that was harder than India, but I think you've done it. <laughs> and so finally, we're, we're getting to where we think, you know, I think we're going to do this. I think God wants us to do it. We'll do it because we love the Lord. We love people. We want to be obedient to the Lord, and we know it's going to be so hard. that I don't know if we can stand it. Sorry about that. Um. I'm glad I love people and sometimes I don't like it very much at all because it really hurts. Uh, In fact, one thing we wanted to do was we wanted to discern, was this our soul? Was this soul... You know, was this just natural compassion or was this the spirit of God? And was this the love of God and the direction of God? And that's why we didn't talk to anybody for a little bit. Just to discern, God, is this what you're asking us to do or are we just imagining this? You know, do we just, because we didn't want to start out on pathway and then it's soul and then we abandon brokenhearted people. So we had to know, is this our new mission field right here, Lord, in America? Is this, are you calling us to this thing? And years ago, we had read The Cross and the Switchblade by David Wilkerson, you know, and he had gone in basically to drug houses and reached addicts, and we wept over that book. We read through it twice and wept, and we never knew why. We just thought, oh, he has a heart for the Lord, and we have a heart like, you know, we just thought he touched it. And then later on when this started to happen, we thought, aha, you know, how God will string together things from your past that you don't even know why it meant something to you. And then later on, he brings it up and he brings it up. And we were also trying to do that thing where you walk, you know, walking by faith. It's like, yeah, it's fun. 
like in the sermon. <laughs> but like when you're headed here and then God's like, no, go over here. You don't know anything about it. It's like, whoa. So we were just trying to discern all that and make sure that we're truly following him. Um, so one morning we were praying and we'd, we'd started to go to open uh, Narcotics Anonymous meetings to learn more about addiction. And we were basically just kind of discovering about meth, but then we discovered a whole bunch of other drugs and so forth and so on that, that go on, you know. Uh, for instance, did you know this? Tulsa is considered the needle capital of America. For the most injectable drugs. Amazing. We didn't know that. The, but the, anyway. The addicts will tell you that. We started going to these NA meetings, and we met a guy one night. And we're not going to tell you any names. It's, it's anonymous. We don't want to, you know, share anybody's confidence. And I want to say this. We walked in that first Narcotics Anonymous meeting. We just wanted to learn about... Okay, this person we, we, we're caring about is going to go through recovery. Let's learn about what he's going to go through. And the people in the room adopted us. We're in this room with all these drug addicts. They, we introduce ourselves. They, they know us as the missionaries. And we say, yeah, we helped a guy get in treatment. And we think, well, they're going to like say, you don't belong in this meeting, right? This meeting's for recovering addicts. What are you doing here? No, they come over afterwards and they say, okay, you need to keep coming because that person's going to need you and you need to learn everything you can about addiction and recovery. It's good that you're here. Come every Thursday. I'm like, we aren't addicts. So one morning we were praying, just a, a normal prayer meeting for us it was about nine o'clock in the morning and most of the time when we're praying we don't answer the phone but that morning my, my cell phone rang and and i thought you know i need to answer this i don't even know why for sure but i'm going to answer it pick it up and this guy that we'd met at the meeting said um last night i got jumped and beat up and robbed and i don't have anywhere to go will you guys come and pick me up and i thought you know i don't know And so I said, can, can you... The great missionary. <laughs> I said... Arise in the power of God. <laughs> Go, take the land. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I said, can we call you back in a few minutes? I need to talk to Mary and kind of see where we are here. So I, I hung up and, and we're sitting kind of across from each other. And I looked at her and I said, this is so-and-so we met at the meeting. And here's the deal. He wants us to come pick him up. Pick him up. And I just looked right at her and I said, okay, are we in or are we out? <laughs> we had just had this prayer meeting. He calls in the middle of the prayer meeting. Now, we know that he may have some felonies and done some prison time. You know, or as we've learned, the terminology actually goes, caught some charges. <laughs> like it was an accident, sort of. Right. <laughs> Let's see. Caught some charges. Yeah, caught some charges, spent 28 <laughs> years in jail, things like that, you know. Anyway, and, and you know, so, you know, we know that this could be dangerous, right? And I'm like, I'm going to, like, think it over. Like, Owen goes, are we in or out? And I go, oh, you know, we're in. And he goes, okay, let's go. <laughs> so we got in the car. He was at the downtown Tulsa bus station, which is actually not the best area of Tulsa, I might add. And we went down there. It's like, I don't know, 10 or 1030 in the morning. 
And we're thinking we're going to be cool and smooth about this, you know? Yeah, we like to make a plan. For example, this guy must weigh 300 pounds. Right. You know, both of us plus some more. <laughs> and he, he looked dangerous. You know, he's missing teeth and, and things like tough. that. He's just a rough guy. So that was why I wasn't too sure to start with. So, so anyway. We but, make this plan that we're going to drive by the bus stop and see if there's any trouble. <laughs> so we circle around the bus stop. We saw him sitting on the bench. We thought, okay, nobody else is around. So we drove around the block, and we're going to park somewhere and go talk to him. No. We pull around the block. And he's standing right on the curb, Crying. right on the corner. There is no possible way he could have missed us. We can't escape. Here we are, man. It's starting now. And he's bloody. His shirt's all torn. He's crying. He looks in our car. So I just jump out of the passenger seat, put him in the front seat. And all I could think of was, get out my Bible and read him the Bible. <laughs> So we put him in the car. We're like, where are you going? He's like, I don't know. We're like, great. So I just <laughs> He had been staying in a sober living home, but he was pretty sure they were going to kick him out because he didn't go home that night. And he's supposed to either go home or call. And he did neither one. So I just start reading him the Bible. And I thought he is either going to think who is this religious freak or God's going to show up. I didn't know what else to do. I just start reading the Bible out loud. Well, finally I get to Psalm 23, and he starts quoting it after me and saying it before me, and he knows Psalm 23. And I was like, wow. And we start asking him questions, and he you know, grew up in a Baptist school, and I think he got saved when he was a little kid. And we're like, huh? Because my brain didn't, didn't have a place for that idea. And so we're like, really? And um, so Owen's like, so what about the sober living home? And while we're talking about the Lord, Owen just drives over to that sober living home. <laughs> I thought, I truly did not know where to go. So I thought, where's your sober living home? He told me. I just sort of started aiming that direction, see what happens, you know. So we, we knock on the, oh, he enters a code. And he says, oh, the code's been changed. I think I'm kicked out. Like, okay. And so he keeps entering codes. Finally, he's banging on the door. And they say, oh, there you are. Well, you didn't come home last night. You know the rule if you don't come home. And they're like, well, you can come in and talk about it. We'll have a meeting. And then they go, who are these people? And he goes, oh, them? They're the missionaries. (laughs) Of course. Right? (laughs) So there's about nine guys living, nine guys, recovering addicts, living in the house. And the guy goes, well, you want to come on in? And we're like, Okay, so we go in and sit down on this ratty old couch. A bunch of guys run and put on a shirt when they see me. (laughs) And then they decide to have a meeting, if they're going to keep him or get rid of him. And one guy says, so you're the missionary, so I just want you to know I'm a heroin addict and an atheist. And we're like, okay, so I'm thinking we definitely found a mission field here. (laughs) So they have a meeting, and they say, okay, you broke the rules, you haven't paid your rent, and you stayed out all night. So we're kicking him out, and we're giving him to you guys. We're like, no, no, we just met him. (laughs) We don't know him. Plus, we're pretty much in the same spot we were when the first guy came. We don't know what to do. What are we going to do with him? So one thing I learned in, in the third world in Asia, if I have a problem and you're there, what I do is I make it your problem. If you're Asian and I'm a foreigner and I have a problem, I say, what, how are we going to get out of this problem? What do you think we're going to do about that? How are you going to help us with that? <laughs> 
So they said, we're going to give him to you. So Owen and I said, no, no, we don't know what to do. You guys have to tell us where to take him. And they did. They brainstormed a few places, and they finally landed on one. They said, it's called TCBH, Tulsa Center for Behavioral Health. And they said, take him there. They'll take him. Well, we took their word for it, and we headed over there. And from there, God just started doing all this crazy stuff. The man at the front desk was a Christian, and he prays for people to come in every day for the Lord to send him. The intake counselor was a Christian and knew Owen from when Owen interned um, when he was getting his counseling degrees. And they didn't have any reason to keep him, and then they found a reason to keep him, and then the man at the front counter said, so you guys are missionaries, are you ordained? We said, yes. They said, great, come do pastoral meetings with him. We're like, once again, we're not his pastors. The guy said, it doesn't matter. He doesn't have a pastor. This emergency form, you're his emergency contact. So <laughs> come and do Bible studies. And that's true. Who, who can we call in case of emergency? He put our he phone put number. It's the only one he had. <laughs> so, he goes, so the guy at the front desk goes, okay, come and do Bible studies. By law, in Oklahoma, two, people can see, two kinds of people can see him 24 hours a day, an attorney or an ordained minister. Come anytime you want and do a Bible study with them. And we're like, you know, God is so funny, right? We're trying to knock on that door to get to Thailand, and it was locked. Ever had that happen? Trying to get that job, trying to get that relationship, trying to get that house, that thing, and that door's locked. And then God's got this little itty-bitty door. It's like, go through this one. <laughs> like, that's not the door. <laughs> the door I was looks looking like, for. Looks like the wrong door to me, Lord, but it sure is opening easily. <laughs> and then people on the other side are saying, come on in here. <laughs> You're a heroin addict and an atheist. Why are you inviting me into your house? I'm a missionary, right? So anyway, so we go and do pastoral visits with this guy at TCBH. And then he graduates. Guess who he calls to pick him up? <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for the Holy Ghost. And, and I can, yeah, I'm just going to say this. It's sort of a joke, but not. I know one reason he weighs 300 pounds. He asked us to take him to CeCe's Pizza, and he ate 23 pieces of pizza by himself. <laughs> we are either led by the Holy Spirit or we're just crazy. I don't know which one it is some days. But I met Tammy Woods, and she reminds me of me, so I think I might be right. <laughs> So anyway, then he goes to check into a Christian sober living home. And we find out that the people running that home have been looking for someone to volunteer and come do Bible studies. Can you imagine? We just once again walked right in that little itty-bitty door. And um, over a series of events, we substitute taught some classes, preached in their church, and then eventually... We made a proposal. We said, we'll do a 12-week course class for you on how Jesus can help you in your recovery from your addiction. And um, they said, great. And everybody told us that they're recovering addicts. Their attention spans about one hour. So we <laughs> proposed a two-hour class. <laughs> but we did something really unusual. We would teach the word for an hour, take a break, and then let every person talk about what that teaching meant to them. And nobody else could comment or correct. What your truth is, is your truth, and your truth, and your truth, and your truth, and yours, and yours, and yours. And they got to talk about how they felt about God, how they felt about the Word. And it was amazing. 
how they got to share their heart and have somebody listen to them. It was unbelievable. So one day, one of the guys in the uh, Bible study who had been coming to our Bible study, we got to know the guys. One of the reasons we did the second hour was so we could get to know people. We don't like to just come and teach, preach, whatever, and then bust out of there and be gone. We like to get to know people. And there's just something that God's put in our heart to do that, to know the people that we're ministering to. And that's one of the reasons we, we like to keep coming back here. We're getting to know some of you guys, you know. I, reckon, I don't know all your names, but I recognize a lot of your faces, and I love doing that because there's continuity in that. There's something God can do through that. So one of the guys that, that we had been ministering to in the Bible study, Mary said, I think so-and-so's having a hard time today. Let's just give him a call. So we did. And we had been praying in the Holy Spirit, you know, and he just, I just kept feeling like in my spirit I felt like he's not doing good. And so we called him up and said, hey, how's it going? <laughs> he goes, not very good. <laughs> we said, would you like to have us come out and just visit with you? Well, and he said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And did we go that day? Yeah, we went that day. So we went to see him that day. We got out there about like 1 o'clock, and we left about like 5.30. And we spent that whole time with him, just being with him, talking with him, sharing the Word of God with him, helping him understand how God can help him through this addiction into the freedom of Jesus Christ. And he was already a believer. He'd been saved a long time ago. His parents had been in the church a long time and so forth. But he just didn't know for sure how God could help him in his recovery. And here's an interesting fact. On Tuesday of this week, we're going to meet him again. And we've been meeting him every Tuesday the whole time since then. That's over a year. We, we started a, a, a um, relationship with him. So a Bible study and relationship, and he shares with us what's going on in his life, and we share with him the word and so forth, and it's changing his life. In the meantime, <clears throat> another guy who was coming to the Bible study who was not saved, he, saw, he talked to this other kid, and other guy, and he says, do you think they'll meet with me? He says, ask him. So he did, and we said, sure, we'll meet with you. And in the course of time, he got saved. He wasn't saved, and he knew it, but he got saved. And it was like, it's one of the most incredible things on earth. I don't know if you can imagine this quite, but here's a human being on the path of destruction. Sure and certain, drugs will kill you. All right? He knew it. We knew it. Everybody knew it. And he got saved. It changed his life now, and it changed his eternity. He will be in heaven forever. You'll get to know him probably if that's how that works. So we were sitting with that second guy, the one who got saved, and, and we'd been going to Narcotics Anonymous meetings every week because, well, the addicts told us to, so we kept coming. And we fell in love with the people there, and um, so we're meeting with that one, the second one who had gotten saved, and Owen said, I still don't understand it. Could you explain to me the heart of addiction, the root of addiction? the core of it, the cause of it. Why do you, why, why did you even start? What could you explain it to me? And the guy looks at Owen and said, Oh, it's easy. It all goes back to hating yourself. And I can still hear him say those words. It all goes back to hating yourself. And I thought, wow, praise God. There's a real key to our ministry. It all goes back to hating yourself. So one of the things that we teach a lot is how much God loves you. These songs this morning, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And we just, we, we just do that over and over and over. And we don't, we don't say, you know, your sins don't count. They do. But God will forgive you. God will forgive you. You're forgiven forever. Just mm -hmm. keep coming to the Lord. He'll keep forgiving you. 
He loves you. And one of the reasons we do that is because if they can't get past that self-hatred, they probably can't get recovery. They probably can't get past drugs and alcohol. So I have a few things I want to share with you that we've learned along the way. Um, God put it in our hearts that what we're doing, we just kind of stepped into it. Like I said, we're reaching and teaching the recovering addicts. When they get in recovery, that's when we connect with them. They've decided they want out. And God has opened all these doors to reach them right when they have made the step to get out. And then, bam, we show up and we're teaching them the Bible, too. Well, along the way, we've learned that in America, the estimate is that 10% of Americans age 12 and above are either a drug addict or an alcoholic. 10%? There must be many of us here in this room that know somebody or are related to somebody. 10%. Now, for your children, I told Owen, maybe we should ask if we could talk at Children's Church. You want to know why? When, the, when they stand up and give their testimony, what age do you think they first started using that? 10 to 12. 10 years old, what grade is that? Fourth or fifth. Fourth or fifth grade? What chance do they have? Somebody says... This will make you feel better in fourth grade. That'll make you feel better. Your parents are divorced and you're hurting. That'll make you feel better. And here's the deal. It does for a while. We've heard many addicts say, the first time I took meth, whichever way they do it, I fell in love. The first time I smoked weed, marijuana, I fell in love. Something happens inside of them that makes them fall in love with drugs. Now, after a while, of course, what does the, the thief come? Comes to steal, steal and kill, kill and, and destroy. destroy. That's what those drugs are. They're designed by the devil to steal and kill and destroy, and they get the job done. Alcoholism is one thing, and it's deadly and dangerous. Drugs is a whole different deal. It's, it's much faster. more thorough, and it's much quicker. <clears throat> Can I? Um, I want to say something. I gave the example of a child of a divorce. And if you're divorced, don't feel condemned. I want to explain to you who is, who is an addict. you know who they are? They're the children of preachers. They're the children of violent offenders. They're the children of great Christians. They stand up and say, my parents taught me everything right, and I used anyway. They're the children of your average American. They're the children of North Tulsa and South Tulsa. They're the children of all, they cross, they give their testimonies, they cross our whole, our whole nation. They cross all kinds of, of backgrounds, you know. They, they, it's unbelievable. I mean, I had that kind of mental thought of maybe they're taught this, and some are by their parents, but I didn't understand. They're the children of all kinds of people. So what do we do? Our job right now from God is to reach and teach men and women who are lost in the world of addiction. What does that mean? We go to places, uh, rehab centers, and there's one in particular that we go to in Tulsa. It's called the Howe Foundation. And through a next-door neighbor of ours who had gone through that program, we got invited to teach a Bible study there, which we do every Monday night. The only times we don't is when there's a holiday on a Monday and they don't have any meetings. But we go there every Monday night. And then the guys that are in the program, it's a six-month program, when they've been there 30 days or 90 days, on Wednesday night they have them speak. 
And then when they've been there six months on Saturday night, they have them speak. And we weren't going to the Wednesday and Saturday. We thought, ah, I don't know if we need to do this and whatever and so forth. Plus, we were going to a Thursday night open NA meeting and doing a bunch of personal ministry and so forth. So <clears throat> one of the guys who was going to give his 30-day speech from our Bible study said, hey, this week on Wednesday I'm giving my speech. You want to come? And it's like, please do. And we said, sure, we'll come. So we went to his deal. And then another guy was going to give, a, uh, after a while, a six-month speech. And, and he said, I think it's this Saturday, but it might be next Saturday. I'm not sure. Can you just come this Saturday in case? So we went that Saturday, and it wasn't then, but it was the next Saturday. So we got a little bit in the habit of them seeing us there on Wednesday and Saturday. Plus, right, a half hour before the meeting and a half hour after his family visitation time. Well, guess what's happened from years of using and being involved in crimes? Not a lot of family coming to visit and not a lot of friends left. And you can understand why. But see, we haven't been affected by those people's addiction. So we step in on Wednesday night and say, hey, how you doing? How's it going? Hey, need prayer for anything? How's it been going this week? Anything on your heart you want to talk about? What's going on? How, how you feeling? Hey, looking good. Doing good? Oh. There's one, they're filling down, and we go around, and we find out we're doing all this personal ministry. Hey, you want to pray about that thing you mentioned? We get in a little prayer circle right there and pray. And God gave us this time to go be there with them. And then they say, can I tell you about my mom? Can I tell you about my child? And you think, your child? You look like you're 12. Okay, tell me. <laughs> can I tell you about my kids? We pray for my so-and-so. I'm going to court. We pray for that. And God opened up all this personal ministry on Wednesdays and Saturdays to know them and love them. To just know them and love them. It goes back to hating themselves. So just to love them. So unless he adds 45 more minutes to the clock, we're about out of time. <laughs> no, it can't be. <laughs> It's unbelievable, be. man. It's just unbelievable. So we need to end in nine minutes. Go now. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Here's here's what's happened. Be a little. <laughs> we started going to meetings in January of 2014, and I went back into my appointment book over the last year and four months, just recently, and counting NA and AA meetings, individual times with people that we're ministering to. Uh, preaching and teaching, doing Bible studies, speaking in churches, and so forth. <clears throat> in that 16 months, we have done over 350 meetings. Yeah. We're busy, you know, <laughs> but it's an, an incredibly good kind of busy. I mean, sometimes we go to bed at night and think, I am just absolutely exhausted. And we say, why is that? Well, because we worked a 14-hour day is one reason. And the other one is people call us in the middle of the night. We give them our phone number. We say, you need, to, you need some help. You call us day or night. You give us a text. We will answer the phone. The only time we won't is when we're with somebody else. And we will get back to you. And, we and had, they take us up on it, too. We had one call one time at midnight, and they had just used up all the math. And they're like, what do I do now? I'm like, next time, call first. But anyway, okay. <laughs> let's get back in recovery, and let's get back in with the Lord. And sure enough, that person got right back in, you know. And it's funny. I said, where are you? And, they said, in a hotel, I said, not in North Tulsa, are they? Are you? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, are you okay there? And they said, you taught me the Bible, and you said Psalm 91 is true, so I am standing on Psalm 91, and I am safe here in North Tulsa in this bad hotel. I was like, okay. <laughs> but, but please stay inside. <laughs> <laughs> 
So he actually ultimately went back and, and went to another town where he's from and got into a sober living home. And as far as we know, he's doing good today. And we praise God for that. Can I read a verse? Uh, sure. And you want to share more? No, go ahead. Okay. I'd like to read something. You don't have to turn there or anything. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Those, those are our people now. They're brokenhearted. They're poor. They're outcasts. They're mourning and grieving. Some of them left treatment. We have four guys in prison now, just in the short time that they left their programs. And they're in prison in different places in Oklahoma. One guy we love, young 20s, facing 45 years in prison. And so, you know, the heartbreak of it, we were talking with Steve beforehand, the heartbreak of it is a little shocking to us. Of, You know, you, I lay in bed at night and I think... So-and-so is laying in prison in bed. So so-and-so, so so-and-so. And all I can do is just keep praying for them that, you know, they're, they're in prison, Lord. I didn't ever expect anything like that. Neither of us did. One of the things that's absolutely amazed us is we thought most of the people we deal with will be unsaved. We can get them saved, possibly, and, you know, lead them to the Lord and then start to teach them the Word of God to help get their lives turned around. The majority of the guys we deal with are saved. Many of them got saved as kids in a church somewhere and just didn't know how to get a hold of God. Some of them got saved in prison. I mean, we deal with people who have been in prison 28 years. That's no joke. It's like, wow, man, that's a long time. They might be 45 years old, you know, so they've, they've spent a lot of their life in jail. And some of them have said, you know, I got saved in prison reading the Bible. It's like they didn't have anything else to do. Read the Bible and God saved me. And so we love that kind of thing. This, this happens sometimes, and this is, um, mm, hallelujah, Jesus. One of the things that makes it really difficult for us. <clears throat> One guy that we were ministering to, he said, when he, <laughs> when he first came, he says, I think it might be a mistake that I'm here. I don't, I don't know if I belong here or not. Well, as we got to talk with him, he was saved and so forth. But he gave his 30-day speech, and we realized he'd spent eight years in jail due to drug use and being caught with drugs and paraphernalia and all that kind of stuff. And we thought, you know, it's a good chance you're supposed to be here. So we spent a lot of time with him, just really ministered to him and so forth. And then he had about, I don't know, like five months in the program out of six. And he was going to have to be there a year. The court had ordered him to be there a year. And he got in an altercation with somebody and just left. They kicked him out. He was supposed to go see his parole officer within six hours. He didn't do it. Two weeks later, they picked him up. He's in prison right now for five years. And he loves the Lord, and he has a call of God on his life as an evangelist. There's another young kid. He's 20 years old. And he said, um, I'm facing 45 years in prison if I don't complete this program. And the court put him there for 18 months. And on the same day, he left the program. Mm -hmm. He's back in jail. And I don't know how long he's going to be there for. But now here's a good thing. And, you know, we just don't have enough time to tell everything because we do a lot of stuff. We believe in recovery. We believe in the 12-step programs. We believe in leading them to the Lord. We believe in teaching them about Jesus. And we think all of that works in their lives. Lay hands on the sick. Lay hands on the sick. Get them filled with the Spirit. 
But just the other day, a guy who has never come to our Bible study ever, we were there the whole time he was, six months. Now he's been out about seven months. And he's staying in a three-quarter house, which, which the Howe Foundation has for them if they want to stay after their program. And he, he says to us on, on one of the, like Wednesday or Saturday night meetings, he says, will you guys pray for me? Now, I had been going up to him and going, you can come to Bible study if you want. Hey, you're welcome at Bible study. We'd love to have you at Bible study. And he always went, yeah, for seven months, you know. <laughs> but he's actually. Great guy. A great guy. He's a believer. He has this huge cross tattooed on his neck right here, you know, which doesn't necessarily mean he's saved, but I think it might. <laughs> but he is <laughs> anyway, saved. He is saved. He says, will you guys pray for me? I have to go to court on um, Thursday, I think it was. They might put me in jail for 35 years. And we said, yes, we will pray for you. So Saturday. Or- then what do you do? I mean, if, without praying in tongues, it would be impossible. I don't even yeah, know. And we don't know what to pray. Maybe he's supposed to be in jail. We don't, we don't know. know. We that. just prayed in tongues and prayed in tongues and prayed in tongues and woke up at night. And we told him, he said he was having panic attacks. We said, if you have a panic attack in the middle of the night, call us. We'll help you. So he goes to court. And on Wednesday night this week, he came up to us and he said, they dropped every charge. I, I'm on probation, but I don't have to go to jail. Because he'd Praise been doing God so good. And, and because, because he had been doing so good and had turned his life around so much, the judge said, because of you, I'm going to give other addicts a second chance. Isn't that amazing? It's just so amazing. So we feel like our ministry really matters in the lives of actual human beings, you know? And then I want to share an amazing thing that happened. We've been praying about being able to get a small space where we can continue to teach the people when they um, graduate from their rehab programs. And we've also been going out to raise money. So we just walk in churches and tell people who we are and ask if they'll listen to our story, ask the pastor. And we walked into a church in Midtown Tulsa, which is the perfect area for us. And a pastor there has told us we might be able to use a room. And so we have to verify this week. And if we get to use that room, we'll hold meetings on Sunday nights. And then when they graduate from treatment, we won't lose, lose them. We can keep them and keep teaching them because they don't, you know, they don't have a church. They don't have a pastor and they made a God connection with us. So we're praying if that's God's will and plan that we'll get to start that in a week or two. So like a miracle, Pastor Dale knows we've been praying for that. Cornell knows we've been praying for that for months now. And so it's just, and he just said, hey, it's the Lord's work. Here's a room. So God bless them. 2019, 18. Do you have anything else? I, first of all, I, I pray. I pray that, that somehow we're an encouragement to all of you. You know, there, there was a sign up a long time ago, everybody a missionary, everyone's a missionary. And I've seen in churches, the sign that says we're entering our mission field. And oh my goodness, we met this thanks. We met this whole community and God gave us a mission field right here in America. Dale always tells us you're still missionaries. And I found out we really are. This is this whole community and We've really grown to love them a lot and care about them. And so I pray that somehow our story of what God's doing in our life encourages all of you in your walk with the Lord, in your ministry that he has for you, because we're all called to that ministry of reconciliation. And we want to tell all of you this. If there's an alcoholic or an addict in your life, don't ever give up on them, ever. Right. Just keep praying for them. You never know what God's going to do as far as 
We just don't know who's going to come in and who's not. We don't know who's going to come in and go out, come in and go out. One of the guys who actually works at the Howe Foundation went, <laughs> went through that program 12 times before he actually decided, I'm really done drinking. I am really, really done drinking. And he's been working there now for several years. So praise God. God just does amazing things in the lives of people. Mary and I, when we were in India, felt really honored. We'd be walking up some trail that if you step over the edge in the dark, you don't know where you're going to teach a Bible study and stuff like that. And I felt honored by God to be able to do that kind of stuff. Now, once again, I feel honored by God that he has given us a ministry that makes so much difference. I mean, uh, visual difference. You can really see it in people's lives and that we get to minister to these people personally, one-on-one in a small group and get to know them and that God has um, gifted us and called us and then helped us to be, I guess, humble enough to actually just do that job, to, to do it. And we don't, <laughs> we don't get, in India it was like this. We take the gospel to people who can't afford to have us bring it to them. Well, we're doing the same thing now. We're taking the gospel to people who can't afford to have us bring it to them. <laughs> same thing. <laughs> Yes. So it's getting to be time for us to close. Um, there's a few last things to say. I know we have like four minutes or three. Um, prayer requests. We would ask that you pray for us. Um, we're giving out all the time, you know, and we need wisdom and discernment and um, we need protection because we are in some dangerous situations sometimes. And um, uh, we need. Um, knowledge of the steps that God would have us take. And it's our heart to be able to reach and teach so many more people than we've been able to reach and teach so far. So that's certainly one of our prayer requests too. And The other one is finances. We're in the process of raising money for our new ministry. When we had to leave India, a lot of the partners that we had, they believed in missions overseas, but they didn't exactly connect with our mission now. And so we're in the process of raising money. And that's what we're doing. During the week, we go to places in Tulsa, churches mainly, and just share with the pastors what we're doing, like how we got started here with Pastor Dale when we went to <laughs> India, what we're doing and, and that we're, we're raising money and so forth. And we're doing that to we, – we're self-employed. Nobody pays us anything except our own ministry. And we really love this ministry and want to stay in it. But we're praying, <clears throat> um, praying and believing God for money, money to keep doing that. Go ahead. Anything else? Do you want to share any more? Sure, go ahead. About that, or do you want to stop? I don't know. Okay. Thanks, Lord. All right, Lord, what do we do now? <laughs> As we were coming up here this morning, we got to talking. We like to be transparent with people and let people know what's going on and, and you know, really, really get it. And uh, we do that in our teaching and in our ministry. We never try to manipulate anybody into anything because we believe God will lead everything. He leads us to where we're supposed to minister. He leads us to who to minister to. He leads uh, people to, to pray for us, which we love that. And he leads people to provide finances for our ministry. Uh, we were talking this morning. We thought, should we really tell people this? They're going to fall out of their chair if we do. But we might as well. Why not? We like to tell the truth and tell it what it is. Our- <laughs> I started to laugh during worship because I was thinking about this. I was like, you're too funny, God. Okay. So I want you to know this. If you feel like God wants you to help support our ministry, we would love that. If you don't feel like that, we We love love that that too. too. Because we feel like God calls people to do that particular part. When we first got into ministry, a man that we knew said, hey, when God called you, he called your partners. Well, he needs to be calling some new partners. (laughs) 
Our month, the money that comes into our ministry right now, monthly, is $450. That's it. We've been surviving and getting by. Uh, Sometimes somebody will give us a, a check for a certain amount of money, sometimes somewhat large, which has been really helpful to us. The other thing that happened is when we went to India, we sold our home. And we were... We kept the money from that that we didn't, you know, that whatever was left over from the mortgage, we kept the money for that. And we have gradually been having to use that money to keep financing our ministry. And I I tell God this I say, God, I don't think it's fair that we pay ourselves to do this job. (laughs) So that's definitely a huge prayer request for us. You know, God God has a heart for, for people who are called to hear what we're doing, and to see that this is a mission field in America. And we've spent a bunch of time in the last few weeks, well, actually the last few months, we go out and pound the pavement, we go meet people and talk to them, and so far, like, nothing's happening. <laughs> that's why I laugh during worship. <laughs> but um, So that's a, that's a serious prayer request. Over the years, we've been a little shy about, like, talking about those kinds of things, and God's kind of showed us to be bolder, and we're trying to meet new pastors and go to new churches, and we're just asking that the Lord open those doors, you know. And I think that if God puts it in their heart to love the people we're reaching, then they'll have a heart for the work we're doing. And again, that's not for any pressure. We just, it's a serious need at this point, and we're part of the body of Christ. You know, if, if I was really sick and needed prayer and didn't tell you, then I'd be missing out on your prayers. So... I think that's everything we have to share. We, we love you all very, very much. I cannot tell you how important we found out it is to have churches partnering, connecting, praying, loving, believing, sending an email of encouragement, all of it. So we cherish you and value you very much. Thank you for this chance to be here today. We really do love you guys. And we just thank you for listening to our story. Um, please pray for us. We really need that. I don't, I don't know if you know this exactly, but... We're just two people. That's all we are. She grew up in a town of 2,000. I started growing up on a farm outside of a town of about 1,000. Then we moved to a town of about 600 and then about 2,000. That's where I graduated from high school. I was thinking about this this morning. In my first through fourth grades, I was in the largest class in the school. There were three people in it. I went to a country school. There was nothing there that would say, Owen Adams is going to be a, a world missionary and work in this field that he's in right now. Nothing at all. So we're just normal, common people. And we're telling you the truth. And we say, half the time, we really don't know what to do. We just got to ask God. And sometimes it's moment by moment, God, what now? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And we just wait. And she's taught me this. I'm, I'm a little impatient about that. I don't like doing that very much. I'm a man. I want to get it done. And she said, now, just wait a minute. What did God say? I said, he didn't say anything. She said, <clears throat> she said, well, maybe if you'd listen a little longer, he would. <laughs> she does, she's not rude to me, but she knows I ain't listening. It's like, I think I know what to do, but it ain't working. And let's just say, okay, what did God say? And I really will. I'll say he didn't say anything. She'll say, okay, let's just ask God right now what to do. And I'm kind of afraid that God won't tell me or that I won't hear him. You know, it's just how I am. So I'll say, okay, 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 okay. All right, Lord. What now? What do we do now? And I just listen. Every time God tells me what to do, it's just the most amazing thing in the world. And every time, I'm afraid he's not going to. So we need prayer. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all. Thank you. Hallelujah.
I'm going to ask the, the uh, elders and the LT to come up, please. And we're just going to bless them. And, and I do want to bring to everyone's attention, uh, if the Lord has put it on your heart to sow into this wonderful ministry and, and this great man and woman of God who are doing such a great work for the kingdom, uh, we have a, a wooden box out on the table in the foyer. Uh, it identifies uh, Owen and Mary Adams' name on it. Uh, if you're making a check, just write the check out to NCF. Every bit of it will go to the Adams ministry, okay? So uh, th- there is an opportunity for that. You can do it at, uh, as soon as the service is over. Hallelujah. Uh, Owen and Mary are going to come back from the missions conference in July, and uh, we're going to do some unusual things during the conference, which will include uh, opportunity to speak directly with missionaries, especially on Saturday mornings. We'll break up into small groups around the building here, and you get an opportunity to talk one-on-one with them, you know, at that time you know, draw anything out and ask questions and so forth. So they'll be back during that time. So I just want to let you know about that, okay? Okay. Okay. Praise God. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your promise, the promise that the increase of Jesus' government and peace, there should be no end. And the zeal of the Lord shall perform it. That's what the Isaiah speaks about. It's the prophetic word about Jesus and his kingdom. And that includes people that are down and out and are under bondage to drugs, uh, alcohol, and uh, don't know the way out. But, Lord, your kingdom can increase and increase and increase more among them. And, Lord, the zeal of God, the strength of God, the fervency of God... Let it be on this couple who's been called especially to this ministry. Let your grace abound on them more and more. For, Lord, what you call people to do, as the apostle said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So we bless them today in Jesus' name. And we thank you for supplying their financial need. We lift it again to you. Uh, we may be able to do more or that in this church. But, Lord, it's you that actually does it. And you can raise up helpers from unusual sources to supply the needs for this couple. And we bless them with this, and we trust you for it, and thank you for answering our prayer in this manner. And, Lord, guide their step. Give them wisdom, guidance. Open the way up for this new facility, whatever facility it's supposed to uh, be, uh, in a church building or in a uh, other kind of building, whatever. But we believe you to raise it up, a place where they can meet regularly with people that want to hear the word of God, want prayer, want counsel, and Lord, you're going to make a way in this as well. We're claiming that together today in Jesus' name. So we bless them. We thank you for your faithfulness, O God, to use them and bring many sons, O God, and daughters. Be freed up, O God, and set free and find God and find Christ. And Lord, one day we'll all meet together in the kingdom of God. We praise you for your blessing now. And commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, We thank you all for 
bearing with us and fellowshipping with us today. And that concludes today's service. Lord's blessings with you as you go.